I'm Jeff Murphy from Boston University Alumni Relations, and I'm your host for an interview series showcasing the career paths of our most interesting and accomplished alumni. Welcome to the Proud to Be You podcast. Today's guest is Fred Santarpia, the former Chief Digital Officer at Condé Nast. Fred earned a degree in banking and financial services management from BU's Metropolitan College in 2008. I spoke to Fred at a really interesting time in his career as he had just announced his decision to step away from his senior role at Condé Nast and move on to a new challenge. In addition to exploring this decision, Fred and I talked about the many other difficult choices he's made while navigating a career in finance, accounting, media, and more. Well, Fred, thanks so much for uh, carving out some time for us. And let's let's get right to the elephant in the room. Uh, you recently announced that you're actually stepping down from Condé Nast. Uh, and I, I'm certainly hoping that we can explore that a little bit, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. That's uh, totally fine. It was a... Uh... It was a um, was a tough decision for me. Um, I love the company. Um, you know, Condé Nast is a you know fantastic, um, legendary media company, and I've had a great seven, almost seven year run um, with the company. But it was um, a good time in in my career and my and my personal life to take some time off and and think about uh, think about finding the next mission. Great. And, and that's entirely what this whole podcast is about. You know, our, our listeners are interested in hearing how people make decisions and, and move their careers forward and, and take families into account and things like that. So I'm glad that we can, we can dive in. But let's start at the beginning. Did you grow up dreaming about being a chief digital officer? <laughs> I, don't know if anybody, <laughs> I don't know if anybody grows up dreaming of being a chief right. digital officer. Um, no, yeah. I, 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 I didn't. If anything, I was more of a more of an, an artist and a writer in my youth and uh, found my, took an in, had an interesting career path to say the least. No, and it's interesting to hear you talk about being an artist because I, I know from reviewing sort of your history about some of the roles you've played in art uh, and I'm excited to talk about that. So uh, also in, in doing some Google stalking of you, I know you grew up in Staten Island, is that right? That's correct. Yes, very proud, proud Staten Island native. And so I also know that you went to Villanova as an undergrad. What, uh, what, what about your background led you to Villanova and what you ended up studying there? Well, um, you, know, you know, frankly, when I was in, when I was in high school, um, you know, my dad, <laughs> I, I applied to almost, four, I think, 14 colleges um, in my application process. I think my dad was a little worried that I wasn't going to get in any place. <laughs> And um, you know, Villanova was Villanova was kind of a top of our top of our list. And I just I happened to you know take a trip to campus, had a wonderful wonderful side experience, um, and it just felt right for me. And um, you know, wasn't too far from home, which is something that at the time was was you know something that was important to me and to my family. And 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 we made the call, um, and I ended up studying accounting at Villanova, which um, you know. Frankly, you know, you look back on your youth and you wonder, you wonder what were, what was I thinking? Um, and I, I don't think I was thinking anything, you know, really, Jeff. I think I was having too much fun at the time, um, partying and enjoying my friends. And my dad at the time was look, be an accountant because you'll you'll always have a job. It's a skill that's always in demand, and there's always a market for it. And while I was in school, that sounded logically enough, logical enough for an eighteen, nineteen year old. 
And when I graduated college and I, I took my first job, which was at um, Arthur Anderson, one of the old, um, I guess, you know, quote unquote, big six public accounting firms at the time, which is no longer with us, um, I realized that I was an accountant. And that was a really bad day for me. <laughs> and I spent, I, long story short, to kind of, you know, give the ending, I spent the last, um, the next, you know, seven to 10 years of my career trying to figure out how do you navigate out of, accounting and finance and into you know industries in which I could pursue a more a more creative career. So okay, so that's a, a really interesting point. You, did you go into Villanova knowing you wanted to study accounting or just sort of landed on it once you ended up in Pennsylvania? No, I look I had no idea. I had no idea what I wanted to do with myself. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I was okay. away from away from home for the first time and you know, more than anything, I think I was, you know, enjoying the freedom of um, the social elements of college, meeting new people, um, living away from home. And, you know, when you're a freshman going into a sophomore, you're typically in, the, in a business school, you're, you're, you get a lot of general business courses um, before you need to choose your major. Um, and, you know, when I did, you know, my, you know, my, the inclination and I, you know, I took a lot of advice from, you know, from my, from my parents and the inclination was that, you know, accounting was always going to pay the bills and that that would be a, a safe choice. So that's kind of how I, I navigated there. It wasn't like I had a strong desire to be in accounting or business, but that was the, the safe thing to do, uh, at the time. Sure. Which makes a ton of sense. And obviously, so many of us lean on families and friends and other mentors to help guide us. Uh, and sometimes you end up, you know, down that path that, that you maybe realize isn't for you. So do you, when you start that first job at Arthur Anderson, do you already kind of know that it's not the right fit? Or does it, you know, take a, a little bit of that full time professional experience before you really kind of decided that you needed to get on a different direction? No, it was scary. Um, it was very scary because you you come out of college, you're not quite sure. Um, you know, you know, you, you're you're in your first job, and you're not quite sure what the what what the right decisions are. But I was in a very very formal corporate environment, um, doing work that I felt was um, very dry. That it, you know, for me was I was you know it was devoid of passion for me, and um, really didn't really didn't require you know not just creativity in the way that we think of it in terms of in terms of you know art or entertainment, but creativity in, in my in my thinking. And um, culturally, it just didn't feel uh, like the right the right fit for me personally. But I was also I was also practical, and I realized that you know pivoting out of accounting may not be the best decision for my long term career at the time. So I was for a very long period of time I was very conflicted and spent you know quite a, quite a lot of time advancing my career in accounting and finance. And also trying to, you know, navigate, you know, ways that I could potentially move into more exciting, exciting industries, right? So, you know, I immediately decided, okay, well, you majored in accounting for four years. You're at a big six public accounting firm that some people who want to be in this field would kill to have an opportunity to be at. Um, it would be a waste if you didn't go and, you know, take the CPA exam and, and, you know, get your CPA license as part of this experience. So even though I, I really had no interest in pursuing accounting as a career, you know, I did the hard work over the next two years to go out and, you know, study, take the tests, you know, get licensed and, and do the things that one would otherwise do 
if they were going to pursue that career, you know, wholeheartedly. So wait, you did end up doing the CPA? I want to make sure I Oh yeah, no, look, I I I took took the CPA exam. I'm I'm a certified public accountant in the state of New York, although I'm I wouldn't hire me to do your taxes. And um, I uh, and, you know, and as you know, I, I, you know, went on to, you know, get my master's in finance from from BU. So is it uh, I, I know that you had a chance to and spend a great deal of your career working at Universal Music Group. And I know that you said sort of growing up, you were you thought of yourself, you had an interest in art, I'm guessing music. Is that universal job get you more on the path? I know. And, and that's eventually what led you to. Same time you're you're getting your degree at BU, right? Right. That was that was kind of like one of my one of my big pivot moments. So, um, you know, I, I had left Arthur Anderson very early on, um, realizing it wasn't a fit for me. I had bounced around to um, a small startup, um, you know, in the you know early two thousands, kind of like during that first dot com boom, if you will. And um, I had two job offers in front of me. I had a job offer from Goldman Sachs. Um, to join their prime brokerage uh, organization, and I had a job offer from Universal Music Group to run uh, finance and accounting for uh, one of their technology divisions, and you know, kind of running the books for um, their data centers and their and their IT their IT organizations. And the Goldman Sachs, you know, Goldman people would have killed for that Goldman Sachs job. It was you know top notch job, top notch firm. Um, and when I was there, I think it was probably my fourth or fifth round of interviews. And I, I was looking at the environment. It was very similar to what I had had previously at, at Arthur Anderson. And, and it, I knew it just didn't feel right for me. And when I went to Universal, you walk in, and even though it was a finance and accounting job, make no mistake about it, um, there was an energy there, right? Um, you know, the, the music was on in, you know, the hallways and, you know, every employee had a stereo on their desk and the nameplates were CDs and there was music all over the place and it had a different energy to it. So, you know, even though the offer on paper didn't look as great and I was still doing finance and accounting, I, I thought, you know, here was a, here was an opportunity to kind of get myself closer to something that I think I would, I would, I might have more luck and more success at. Um, so I ended up taking the job at Universal, which was a really interesting moment in time for the industry because this was like 2002, which was the, um, the peak year of CD sales in the music industry. So height of, height of the value of that industry before the, the, you know, the advent of Napster and, and piracy and the unbundling of the album and all of those things that you know, went along with with kind of a period of great change and great consolidation uh, in that industry. And you know, as I said, I was still still in a finance capacity, but I was in a finance capacity in kind of the the digital and tech arm of the organization, which meant I was much closer to where the change was happening in in that area of the business. And it obviously sounds like there's a great just cultural fit for you. You know, even though you're working on again accounting and finance, you, you're really feeling like you've you've maybe found your tribe. You found a company that aligns more with what your interests are. Well, I, I felt like I, I it was more. I guess it was more palpable for me, right? It wasn't just you know with a, a, the accounting and finance jobs I was in. I was auditing. I was auditing P and Ls of other people's companies, 
right? And and here we were kind of supporting the art of, you know, the, the world's greatest recording artists, right? Universal was the largest recorded music company in the world. And, you know, it was fun as a, as a young kid coming up to be part of that. Um, and, you know, this was kind of where, this was during the, the uh, again, during a period of, of great change. So as a, as a young person coming up in that industry, um, it opened up a lot of opportunities to start to participate in, in other parts of the business. Uh, and if you understood, you know, the, the, the benefit of, of, you know, coming from an accounting and finance background, and also part of why, you know, I continued to continued on to go to get my master's from, from BU at the time, uh, you know, having a mastery of how the P&L works and how investment decisions are made um, can really serve you well as you move into more of general operation of a business. So, um, and at the time, you know, I was looking to take on more, but I really needed to have the, the business savvy in order to be able to understand how some of those decisions were being made at the at the senior level of the company, and um, and that was a, a big decision on why I had decided at the time to to go back and pursue my master's. And that makes tons of sense. And and one of the reasons I was excited to to chat with you today, there are several reasons, but one of them was because you got your master's degree as a BU online student and, and did it while working full time. What was that online student experience like for you? And this is, you know, in the in the mid to or mid to late two thousands. In some ways I think that you're an early adopter on those online degrees. I think it might have been the first year that, that BU offered the program. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, look, I was in a, I was in a, a, a really, you know, difficult spot in my life at the moment. I wasn't, I wasn't in a position to stop working and, and kind of go get, you know, my, my master's in a, tr- in a traditional sense. Um, I had just recently gotten married. Um, there were, you know, a lot of things happening in my career at the time that would have prevented me from, or would have taken me off track. And Boston University at the time was one of the first truly reputable traditional institutions that had offered a, a, a program in this kind of fashion and and I jumped on it right away and um, you know it was it was hard I never taken you know online courses before again this is going back I want to say 2007 probably um, 2007 2008 and it was um, you know a lot of weekends a lot of nights mostly through you know what were message boards at the time chat rooms, um, you know, with fellow students, um, you know, just, you know, discussing projects and, and, and assignments the same way you would in a traditional environment, only all through, all through digital channels. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, frankly, a, a lot of work on your own, right? When you don't have the classroom experience, you really have to, you really have to be buttoned up and diligent to make sure that you're, you're really taking the time to do the work and the reading, um, you know, to make sure that you're getting the the value out of the curriculum that you would otherwise get in a traditional environment. But I found the I found the the flexibility of it um, really amazing, and you know there was you know plenty of interaction with the professors and and the students at the time, and and you know I found it I found it to be a a, a rewarding experience, frankly. Were there professors or individual classes or even projects that stand out to you now as you think back to your experience that were sort of really important for your career trajectory? Um, I think a lot of, I mean, what I really got out of, what I really got out of it was like the, the, 
the kind of the financial valuation, the investment cases, like really learning how to evaluate, you know, uh, a business and whether or not it's going to make sense in the, in the, you know, long-term versus kind of the short-term outlook. Um, you know, a lot of investment thesis stuff that we did that I thought was, you know, incredibly helpful for me on where I was in at that stage in my career. Um, but, um, you know, the, you know, overall, I would say, you know, the, the, you know, the best thing that came out of it for me was, you know, I was able to, to, you know, get an advanced degree from, you know, a fantastic institution in Boston University while still being able to, you know, be in New York, work in New York, you know, pursue my career interests and, and, and still, you know, still be able to do both of those things at the, at the same time. So what happens after you finish that degree? Is there, are there a, a couple of decisions that you make that help you sort of hit the gas pedal on accelerating your career or, or what comes next? Yeah, I kind of felt, I felt like, I felt like I had really, I really had like a moment of achievement that, um, that I had gone out and I had done that. Um, and, you know, again, I was in a, this moment in my career at Universal in which the industry was changing quite a bit. And I happened to be, you know, one of the only people in the organization who, you know, was working on, you know, on our digital assets at the time. Most people still were focused on, you know, believe it or not, like CDs and the, and the physical business. And we had found that there, you know, we were sitting on, I don't know, 300, 400 artist websites like Eminem.com and Rihanna.com. And we started to say, well, what, what would happen, you know, if we started to put some ads on these sites? Because at the time when the record labels would build a website, they were basically just marketing platforms to announce that a new CD was releasing. It would have CD information on it, where you could get them, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they were, we had hundreds of these. And we started to experiment with uh, putting ads on the sites. We did the first couple of deals with, um, you know, ad, ad serving companies like DoubleClick and, you know, video syndication companies like Brightcove to try and take some of our content and run ads on it. And we started to build kind of a, what was, you know, a, a small business for Universal, but, you know, a new revenue stream in terms of advertising and advertising really wasn't in the DNA of the industry at that point in time. It was, you know, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but, but pretty close to it. And we only made like, we only made a couple million bucks, but we started to show, you know, like a little bit of, a little bit of traction in that space. And I would say, you know, the reason I think one of the, as I look back, one of the reasons I think I had the confidence to step out of my finance, my pure finance shoes at that moment in time is that I picked up a little of that entrepreneur spirit, you know, coming out of my, my master's program. And I think I felt a little bit more confident in my skill sets to, to take a couple of leaps of faith to do some of these things and, and, and knew that they would make business sense for the company. And, you know, again, I'm, you know, maybe 30 years old at the time. Um, and it just was the right moment in my career to do some of those things. And it worked out really, really well. And this, this kind of started me, uh, on my track to get out of the finance and accounting realm and move more into a, a business and strategy role. And as a result of kind of taking some of those moves, we end, I ended up and with a handful of other people who were part of that same team at the table um, negotiating uh, with Universal, uh, negotiating for Universal with YouTube to launch what eventually became a company uh, known as Vivo. 
which I think many people know now as, as being a, a great way to interact with video online. Um, and so that, that transition that you make from that pure, you know, accounting and finance to more of the business strategy, um, when you, when you look back at that transition, were there, are there things that you, you would go back and kind of do over again? Were there, I don't, I don't, like to sort of be negative and say, you know, did you make any mistakes that were real learning experiences? But that's what I'm getting at. You know, if you, if you had a chance to go back and do it again, to relive those learning moments, um, are there things that come to mind? Yeah, I think when you're, when you're younger in a career, I think, um, at least for me, there was, it was easier to let, um, to let fear kind of stop you from, from making certain decisions. And again, you know, Jeff, I grew up in a, in a family where like, you know, very risk averse, I would say. Right. And it was always take the safe play. Right. Which is kind of why I ended up in a, in accounting to, to begin with. Right. Um, and you know, to be, to put yourself out there and say, I know I'm not, I know I'm not on paper, not the guy who's supposed to be doing this, but I think I'm capable of it. These are the right things to do. And, you know, maybe, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And to be able to take the risk to put yourself out there, I think I, I think if you were to ask me what mistakes I made, I think I would say I wish I would have put myself out there earlier, and you know, been more you know more proactive in saying no, this is who I am, this is what's authentic to me, and and have that kind of be the decision maker and the driver for the steps I would take along, along my, my journey. I'm very lucky in that my career, even though I pivoted kind of at the, at what I would say was a early to midpoint of my career to get to, to, to be in an industry and, and, you know, work in a field that I truly enjoy, you know, there's still a part of me that says, what if, what if I would have, you know, had the courage to, to make those decisions a little bit earlier in my journey, you know, where would I have ended up? So when, when folks meet you and find out that you're, you know, the chief digital officer of this massive media company, that you're working on digital strategy, I think, I think everybody knows how important, you know, any company needs to have a great digital strategy. What do you, what would you say to people when, when, if they asked you what sort of are like the characteristics, uh, the personality traits that you need to have as a leader for digital strategy in order to be successful? Does that question make sense? Well, I think... I mean, I I would say personality traits as a leader. I'm not sure if they they really relate to digital strategy or not. Um, but um, you know, I think a a good leader, you know, is is thoughtful um, more than anything else. You know, to lead with thoughtfulness, um, really to you know understand um, everything's people, right? In in, in my world, um, in the media industry, um, everything is about people. Right. And, you know, people, people want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be listened to, and everybody can be learned from. So the ability to kind of, you know, sit down with people, understand where they're coming from, really hear their concerns, you know, um, really hear what their, what their ideas and thoughts are. Um, and to be able to listen to that and, you know, really consume that, I think is one of the marks of a, of a, of a strong leader. I think whether it's a digital strategy or otherwise, um, you know, the people who are closest, you know, to the work, you know, really probably have the best ideas on how to solve the problems of the business. 
And, you know, that's a, that's a bottoms up strategy, not a top down strategy. And in some companies, those cultures don't exist, but I think, um, you know, bottoms up strategies, I think are something that I'm a big believer in. And I think keep you closer in the digital world, end up also keeping you closer to the consumer, which is really what digital strategy is all about, right? Digital strategy is, you know, not about, you know, bits and bytes and tech and data. It's about really understanding the consumer and, you know, what they're, what they're telling you, what authority you have with them, what authenticity you have with them, the permissions you have, the role you play in their world. Um, you know, that's what, you know, digital strategy really is. And um, so, so keeping from a leadership perspective, keeping your ear to the ground and really listening to your folks who are on the front line, the critical part of, of building, you know, any successful consumer first, you know, digital business. I know we're coming up on our time that you've been able to slot for me, but there's a couple more things I want to ask you about. First, um, yeah, sure. I can only imagine that as you've made the decision to uh, to step away from Condé Nast, that you've been kind of reflecting on your experience, your success there. I want to make sure you know I have been a loyal Pitchfork Media oh, follower. I go to that web. I go to that website every weekday, <laughs> probably for the last ten. I don't know how long it's been around. It's been at least ten years. What are some of the things that you look back on and, and that you're proud of? I, whether it was that acquisition or some of the other projects you worked on, things that you will take away knowing like, Hey, I really made a difference here. Look, I think the thing that, um, the thing that I'm most proud of is that, um, the digital business is, you know, far more valuable than it was when I, when I took it over and we didn't have to change who we were or make a lot of compromises to accomplish that. Um, if you go back to, you know, 2012, 2013, and it seems silly now, um, but there was a real question on whether or not, you know, our brands like, you know, Vanity Fair and Vogue and The New Yorker and GQ and Wired, whether they had lost relevance to some of the digital uh, media pure plays like BuzzFeed and, and Vox Media and Vice, and had they lost relevance with younger audiences. And, you know, our, my strategy um, from the very beginning was, was to me, not very visionary, um, but, but, but clear in that, um, you know, our mission had to be to operate our digital business with the same level of excellence and quality that our, our print editorial teams had operated with for 100 years. And when I took it over, frankly, um, the digital team here was, was, you know, not at that, not at that level. And, um, you know, we fixed a lot of broken things, um, patched up a lot of cracks in the dam and, um, brought our digital operations, up to be a, a, a best in class um, operation across everything from consumer engineering to data science to audience development to our editorial. And um, the business has been a rocket ship. And it's now uh, it's more than, you know, you know, three times as big as the as the business I've inherited. It's a major, um, major digital media um, organization. Um, you know, domestically here in the U.S., and I think it will. I think it's positioned to to continue to grow. Um, you mentioned Pitchfork, definitely one of uh, one of my my favorite moments over the last couple of years. Is, as you know, we talked about a big music guy, grew up at Universal. You know, launched Vivo, and when I came to Condé, you know, we had leading leading editorial properties in so many parts of the culture, right? Fashion, food, travel, tech lifestyle and you name it. And, you know, to me, music is one of, 
you know, the few things that, that kind of like threads the entire culture together. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, people are very passionate about music. And I always looked at our portfolio and, and said that, you know, not having a, you know, a, a pure play music editorial brand was a, was kind of a, a glaring hole for me. Mm. And, you know, Pitchfork was a, a brand that just had that, the same DNA that Conde had just a commitment to excellence in journalism um, in the, in the music space. And I, I just felt they, 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 they fit us, they fit our company and they are such a great team, a uh, great team of, of individuals and, and the founders were fantastic and we made it happen and we brought music to Conde Nast and, and that will always be um, adding pitchfork to the masthead will always be one of my favorite memories for sure. So we talked about this at the beginning. I know, you know, this is a really interesting and, and I can only imagine a decision that was that you grappled with for a long time, but ultimately have decided to take some time off, spend some time with your family. But what what's next for you? I mean, can you what can you tell us about what you hope to accomplish in the next five to ten years? What kind of work do you hope to be doing? Well, I, I think what I what I would say is this. I'm a big believer. I, I've been very lucky in my career that I've been able to um, find you know moments where where there's been a real mission um, you know available to me and um, when to me career fulfillment is when you can find a mission that you're really passionate about and you know build a team of contributors you know that you admire and that you appreciate to to chase down that mission with and you know I had that I had that at Vivo and I had that certainly in launching uh, the entertainment business at Connie Nast and, and pivoting the digital business here. And that's what I always look for. I look for, you know, a mission that I can believe in and the opportunity to build a team to go down and, and, and chase that mission. And I, I'm certain it won't take me long to find a mission that I'm, <laughs> that I'm excited about. Um, where is it going to be? Um, what industry it's going to be in? Uh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm very, I'm a very open-minded guy, Jeff. I, I, when I was in accounting, I never thought I would end up in music. When I was in music, I never thought I would end up in publishing. Um, and, uh, here I am. So I don't know what the, what the next step necessarily holds for me, but, um, I'm sure excited. Sure. I sure I'm excited to figure it out and, um, you know, can't wait to talk to you guys about it when I find it. I, I will take you up on that offer. I also want to make sure that you know, I, I, I'm hoping that we'll have this uh, published before your last day at Condé Nast. And so listeners, if you've got an opportunity for Fred, he, he sounds like he's ready for, for that next big challenge. So hit him up on his LinkedIn profile. But Fred, thanks so much for carving time out of your day. I can only imagine how busy you are wrapping things up in your current role. Uh, we really appreciate you, you sharing some uh, to your story with us. It's, it's been great to chat with you. Jeff, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. My thanks once again to Fred Santarpia for joining me on Proud to Be You. I really appreciated his openness and honesty as we talked about recent changes he's made in his career. And I know that we're all eager to see where he lands next. Keep us posted, Fred. Thanks again for listening to the Proud to Be You podcast. If you like what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Proud to Be You wherever you download your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.